Well, we come to the end of our series on the book of James, and uh, as James closes out his book, um, he um, really does an incredible job, I think, of, of providing a very, very important summary for us to kind of close out all of the things that he's been emphasizing. And so, we want to look at this concluding section. And just a reminder, the book of James is written to believers who are struggling. They are under external pressure. They're being oppressed. In the midst of their, uh, the external circumstances of their life that aren't going well, they, uh, they, I think, are, according to James, are being lured and enticed into sin. They're, they're being lured to try to make life work without trusting Christ in the midst of their difficulties. James tells them that if we're going to stand up under trials, if we're going to learn to be people who can see God's purpose for our difficulties, that he's trying to make us more like Jesus Christ, we need to be people who are quick to hear, quick to obey God's word. We need to be people who are much slower to speak and much slower to anger. And so then he gives us this final series of admonitions, and in this last section, what I believe James does for us is he gives us three resources to help us in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties. We want to look at them just briefly as we round out the book. The first resource is prayer. Notice verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. What I think James is trying to say is we ought to be praying at all times. When you are cheerful and you've got a lot to thank God for, you ought to be praising God. And when you're in difficulties, you ought to be praying and asking for God's help. Why this, I think, is very important is it is easy when you're in the midst of trials to forget all the thousands of ways God has been faithful to you in the past. And if you're not thanking God for the the good that he has done in your life, and you you cannot recall that to mind, in the midst of a trial, when you've offered up a number of prayers that haven't been answered yet, or haven't been answered in the way you would hope, and you forget about the faithfulness of God, you will be far more vulnerable under trial. I suspect a number of you, individuals and families, would do well this week, this Thanksgiving week, to jot down all of the different ways God has answered prayers, all of the different ways he has provided for you in the past. And you ought to review that regularly. Because if you're not thanking God for the good things he's done, you will find yourself, when things are difficult... I think you'll find it difficult to pray because you've forgotten how often God has come through for you in the past. That's not the only thing that that James says about prayer. He reminds us that prayer is powerful. Look at the end of verse 16. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in his working. And then he talks about Elijah, which we read a text from 1 Corinthians, 1 Kings 17 earlier in the service. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James reminds us that prayer is powerful. 
When we pray, we're talking to the one entity, God, in the world who can actually do something about our situation. And of course, I know what it's like. I, I, I've experienced this, and many believers I know experience this. Oftentimes, we go to prayer as the last result. Well, I tried all these things. That didn't work, so now maybe I'll pray. Why isn't it our first response? Why isn't it at the first sign of trouble we go to God directly? We go to him. And I think sometimes we, we, we in, in an effort to protect the sovereignty of God, these are for... This is a little bit for you theological types who believe that God is sovereign, right? And, and you're very concerned that believers not think that God is a celestial Santa Claus. That every time we ask him for something, he's obligated to give it to us. You don't want to have our praying be putting God in our debt. That's true. That's right. Don't, we shouldn't do that. But the fact of the matter is, and this is a mystery, and I would say if you don't have any mystery with God, you probably are not thinking about the true God. God is sovereign. He is orchestrating everything in the universe from the right hand of the Father. Jesus is doing that. He's sovereign, but somehow in his sovereignty, our prayers connect with his plans. And James will say in, in James 4, he says, you have not because you ask not. I think oftentimes we forfeit what God might want to do because we simply haven't asked him for it. And of course, just because we ask doesn't mean God must do what we ask. He often does something a little bit differently. He's sovereign. We're not. And Elijah was in this incredible situation. The people of God were, were, were involved in, in massive amounts of worship of false gods at this time. The king Ahab and his wife Jezebel were funding the worship of false gods in the nation of Israel, which should have been the people and the place where God was worshipped. They're actually funding false worship. Elijah was a man like us, all right? He was not special. He wasn't endued with special powers. He was a person who looked at God's word. He read God's word, I believe. He saw that in the book of Deuteronomy, if God's people failed to worship God fully, God said, I might withhold rain to discipline you. And so, so, so clearly, um, you know, Elijah begins to pray, Lord, we need a revival. Lord, your discipline may push us back to the true worship of you. So he prays, and for three and a half years he prayed, and it did not rain. Prayer can change things. It can also change you. As you pray and acknowledge your dependence upon God, prayer does change you, Yes. But when we go to the Lord, he's a personal God who listens, who hears. And when we pray according to God's will, all kinds of things can happen. But he says even more about prayer in this last section. Verse 16, he says, confess your sins to one another. We'll get to that in a moment. He says, pray for one another that you may be healed. He challenges us as believers to be praying for one another. One of the most important resources we have together is to pray for one another. To pray with someone who's in the middle of a trial. To text someone during the week and say, I'm praying for you. To follow up with a prayer request that maybe have been given at your small group or at, your, at the high school youth group. And to, to, to find out how things are going and let someone know, I'm praying for you. It's a, it's a tremendous resource. It's a tremendous comfort. 
But there's even another part of the prayer resource. We see it in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I don't know what church background you have. You may not have been in a church who practices this. But this is a resource. It says if you're sick, if, you, if you've got something chronic, if you've got a very bad diagnosis, if, 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 if whatever, the doctors are baffled by your situation, one resource is to call for the leaders of your church and let them pray over you. Now, this is not... If you've got a sore throat, don't call for the elders, Okay? If you've got a splinter in your finger, take it out. Don't call. But this is for something significant, chronic, a very bad diagnosis. Now, now the text seems to say very positively, when the elders pray with you and they're going to anoint you with oil, I think that's a sign of the Holy Spirit, which is a sign of healing. It's a sign of depending upon the Lord by the Holy Spirit to provide healing. It seems very confident, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Well, we want to pray in faith, but we also need to remember there's plenty of other verses and plenty of other stories in the Bible where you pray, and God might not answer the prayer request exactly the way you want in your timing. Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed for it to be taken away, and it wasn't. God let him have that thorn in the flesh. We're not exactly sure what that is. It certainly could have been a physical ailment. God didn't take it away so that Paul would learn to depend upon God. That may be your story. But again, we're told to come to the leaders of the church. They will anoint, and they will pray. And this is a resource that we have. And let me appeal to you. I I, I feel like because of where we live in our, our Western context... And, and again, there's nothing wrong with this. We tend to think if I'm sick or, I've got a, or, or if I've got a difficult problem, I should do research to find the right medical doctor to deal with my problem. There's nothing wrong with that. That is one of the ways God heals you. But we can never forget that God ultimately is the one who heals. We're trusting him, and prayer is one way to indicate our our complete dependence upon God for life. And if you've ever lived in another part of the world, let me tell you, as a North American, you know, born and lived here and grown up here, nothing like being overseas with a, a bunch of Christians who have to face far more difficulties than we do here. I've said this illustration a number of times, so I'm sorry, but it it, it is so life-changing for me, is being in a church when I was in Africa and and having, it was mostly Ghanaians, Nigerians, and Liberians, English-speaking Africans who were going to university where I was. They were two-thirds of the church. They had prayer meetings all the time. They complained to me, why don't the North Americans and European Christians in this church, why do you never come to our prayer meetings? Do you not believe in prayer, they said? And then they said, I think I know what the problem is. You have too much. You depend upon yourselves for healing. In my village, and this is one of the leaders of the student ministry there, he was from Ghana, and he he just openly said, in my village, no doctors. No trained dentists. If you got sick, it would be very difficult for you to get to anywhere close to a hospital that would be any good. 
So you had two choices. You could go to the witch doctor in town and consult the dark personal forces of evil, or you could go to Jesus and ask for healing, but those were your two options. And the student looked at me and said, I think because of the gift that God has given you all, and there's nothing wrong with medical science, I think you have started to depend upon medical science and not the Lord. And so one of the resources here, if you're sick, you, you should go to a doctor, of course, but you have this other resource to come and ask for prayer from the leaders of the church. One of the things I, I would mention, what's interesting about this, at the end of this thing, you, you go to the leaders of the church, they anoint you with oil, they pray, and then at the very end it says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This does not mean that every time you're sick, God is personally punishing you for some sin in your life. It does not mean that. We get sick sometimes because we live in a broken world. We have health problems and mental and, and emotional issues because we live in a broken world. Yes, broken by sin, but it's not necessarily your sin that's causing all the problems. On the other hand, God does discipline us and certainly if you are ill or certainly if you are weighed down by emotional and mental issue that has just been so difficult for you and you've experienced it for a long time often when we're sort of flat on our backs with sickness of any kind God begins to show us areas of our spiritual life that need to be addressed and so part of this discussion here, James is saying, yes, there's a physical component to coming in and having the elders pray for you, but there's also a spiritual component. And I would expand this out. You might have a physical problem. Maybe it's an emotional and sort of mental strain and spiritual strain that you're under. That's also a way for you to come in and ask for a prayer for healing. And yes, if God has shown you something, in your life that maybe needs to be addressed, whether it actually has caused this problem or simply what God has revealed to you, perfectly appropriate to share to the elders as you're asking for prayer, and they can pray for that as well. I'm going to say one more thing about this a little bit later. At 10.30, during the Sunday school hour, we're actually going to practice this text. And so if you come into the sanctuary at 10.30... Uh, we'll probably have most of you over here. You can, we've got a, a prayer guide where you can pray quietly for 45 minutes, which would probably be good for many of you. I would say if you normally go to your Sunday school class, go to that class. Go to Bob's Sunday school class. It's the last class on the spiritual life. And if you don't go to that class, everything falls apart. Your spiritual life. <laughs> There's other classes too. You can go to those. But if you are free at this hour... We'd love you to come and pray quietly, but some of you, and we already have about six people, have already signed up to be prayed by the elders during, at 1030. We'll have three stations up here, and we will, um, you will come up. You'll kind of explain to the elders what you're going through, the, the physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental strain that you're under. And, then we're, and if you want, we will anoint you with oil, and we're going to pray for you. This might be something you should consider, even if you haven't signed up this morning. We would love to pray with you and have this resource. So that's the first resource under trial is prayer. There's a second resource that he mentions in verse 16. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
Part of what we need to do as we are under trial and experiencing trial is learn how to share our struggles with one another. Now, what this doesn't mean is you need to tell us all of the sins you committed and send it to the prayer chain this week. There's not enough bandwidth on our server to handle that, okay? And it doesn't mean you have to share every struggle you have with everyone all the time. It doesn't mean you have to share your small group all the time necessarily, but in your small group, in your high school youth group, in your middle school youth group, in your small group with a couple of trusted friends here, there ought to be a regular habit and culture where you share your struggles with others so people know what you're dealing with and so they can pray for you. And when you pray, when you do that, not only will you be supported, but in a very real sense, you, you will also give permission for everyone else who you're sharing with to share their struggles too. And believe me, this is a problem in every church I've ever been a part of. How many people come to me and say, I love your church, except I feel like I'm the only one who has problems here. To which I'm tempted to violate all pastoral confidentiality and explain all the crazy things everybody's involved in. I can't do that. I try to assure them, yes, people are struggling. Lots of people are struggling. But unless you say that out loud... Other people aren't going to feel comfortable because if no one's sharing a real struggle, even a sin that they're involved in, how is anybody going to obey this text of Scripture and get the help and the support they need, particularly when they're under pressure and the temptation to sin is greater? That's a, the second resource. There's a third resource, and that's Restore. Verse 19 and 20, my brothers, anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I think in the context of James, this is talking about someone among us, someone who's part of the fellowship, someone who has trusted Jesus Christ, and maybe they're under, under trial, maybe they're facing significant difficulties, and the temptation to sin is greater, and maybe they've fallen into sin, but they're under great external pressure with their trials. And one of the most normal ways we deal with these kind of things is we isolate. We stay away from the group. And now we're facing our trials without the benefit of a community, without the benefit of a confessing community, without the benefit of a praying community. Now we're even more vulnerable. And if that situation is not rectified, if there's not an attempt to connect with this person who is struggling and bring them back into the fellowship where prayer and confession and the support of the community can happen, we have a person who now is very vulnerable to the trials and difficulties and even the sin that are likely to come with someone who is isolated and disconnected. And what this text is telling all of us is that we need to connect with people who are struggling, maybe connecting people who are isolated. Connect with them, pray for them, and, and, and maybe, by God's grace, help them to return to following Christ, coming back to the community. I would say if you're in a small group and someone misses, does that person get a text ever? Or do you just kind of go, well, yeah, they didn't come. Someone missing from your Sunday school class? Someone missing from your small group? Someone missing from your ministry team? You're cutting bagels every week. They haven't come for two weeks. Someone probably ought to reach out to them. It may be just that they're busy. 
It may be that they go to the other service, right? This happens. You know, the 9 o'clock and the 11th, you don't know who these people are, right? But it may be that in their trials and in their discouragement, they've isolated normal, a normal response. And you simply reaching out to say, hey, I missed you. How are things going? Can I pray for you? Connect with them. Meet with them, maybe. You would be the answer of seeing those individuals restored to fellowship and restored to the community where they can be prayed for, where sin can be confessed, where they can receive the help that they need. I would suggest this week you think about maybe there's a handful of people that God would lay on your heart and you need to reach out to them. You need to text them this afternoon. You need to give them a call. If they're over 50, you can email them. Who do you need to pursue and seek restoration? Three resources. Prayer, confession, restoration. This is what we have to be for one another so that we can help everyone deal with the temptation to sin that is exacerbated in the midst of trials so that we, in trials, in suffering, together, we can become more like Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you for your resources. And Lord, I thank you for your example in these areas. Lord, Jesus, you were a person of prayer. You prayed often. Lord Jesus, you were a person who restored Peter, who, who actually denied you and, 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 and was isolating himself. You pursued Peter. You restored him. You said to Peter, the one who, who, who fell away from you, you said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, Peter. You restored him. Lord, may we do what Jesus does for us. May we do that for one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.